Hello and welcome to the AIPT Comics Podcast, episode 152. We are closing in on the end of 2021. I am so happy to be here. My name is David Brooke and I'm here with Nathan Simmons. Nathan, how you doing? I'm good. I am also happy to be here. It is early on a Saturday <laughs> morning. I'm on my second yeah. cup of coffee. Uh, we've been talking Spider-Man No Way Home. Don't worry, guys. We won't spoil yes. anything for you. But uh, it's already been a fun morning full of superhero talk. Yes. We're, we're practically talked out and we have a whole show to record. <laughs> <laughs> How you been, man? You know, with the pandemic, I, I see movies so rarely. But mm-hmm. I have not seen a, a movie like during work day yeah. uh, in like feels like years. So I, when I saw Spider-Man on Wednesday... It just, it makes the whole week feel like I'm on vacation. Oh, I feel that, man. <laughs> like, I, my whole week was leading up to Thursday afternoon. I was like, 3.30 Thursday, and that is when, yeah, that, that's exactly right. That's like, that's my escape, man. I'm, I'm going into mm-hmm. the Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, going to the movies is such a great experience, but it's a dangerous one these days. It is. And I gotta tell you, man, like, there were a couple of moments where I was like, mm. maybe I shouldn't be here, because easily the busiest theater i've seen in a hot second a lot of people weren't wearing masks in my theater either i was looking up i was like what's going on here as well didn't love that yeah but uh we're not here to talk about spider-man we're here to talk about comic books we're here to talk about news (laughs) reviews and actually later in the show we have becky clunan michael conrad and jorge corona on to talk about batgirls which came out on tuesday new series loved it very fun very great visuals and uh yeah we chat about their work process, their approach, even their favorite characters to write out of the three casts, Steph and yeah. Babs. So uh, wait for that. It's later in the show. Um, but before we get to that, we always start with the news, the biggest news of the week. And this week, uh, a bit of shocking. I didn't even see this coming news. Alex no. Ross is uh, set to pen and illustrate Fantastic Four Full Circle, which is coming mm-hmm. out August 2022. But get this, this is the most interesting part of this news, for me anyway. It's the kickoff of Marvel Arts, which is a graphic novel um, collaboration between Marvel and Abrams Books. Yeah. And I immediately go, wait, why isn't Marvel just printing their own books? Why are they working with this company? And I really can't tell you, but I do know Abrams has put out a bunch of Marvel stuff lately, especially they just had a Doctor Strange one that came out. Um which talks about like basically it's like an encyclopedia for the character so they've been working together for a little while but uh interesting endeavor between the two and so exciting to like because this is alex ross's first time like illustrating and writing a full graphic novel for the fantastic four and he's this is a passion project this is something he's been trying to get off the ground for a while yeah yeah the cover is amazing. It's so Kirby-esque. It's incredible. And man, it, it brings me back to those old, uh, like when Marvel was doing the, that first run of like, uh, you know, large size graphic novels that, you know, Marvel original graphic novels, the, you know, Spider-Man, uh, what was it called? Two Lives or you know, there was there was a whole bunch of different ones that they, they were putting out for mm-hmm. a while. Uh, and it really get, brings me back to that that kind of vibe. Um, it's going to be a long wait till next August to read this. Yeah, it's going to be real trippy too, I bet, because it's all sort of set in the negative zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's also worth noting Ariana Mayer is uh, lettering the book, but the rest is all Alex Ross, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. If you're a fan of Alex Ross, you'll love this. And speaking of the negative zone, uh, Batman, White Knight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so DC Comics released their full solicitations for March 2022 on friday and uh 
leading up to the full release of their solicitations, they announced a bunch of things, including Sean Murphy returning mm-hmm. to Batman White Knight with Batman Beyond the White Knight in March. Mm-hmm. Which somehow, so I said this to you off air, like it's set 10 years after White Knight and yet Batman mm-hmm. Beyond is somehow in this neo-Gotham place. So there's something going on with the, yep. with the Terry McGinnis character that everyone loves being blended into uh, Murphy's Elseworlds take on Batman. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a huge Batman Beyond fan uh, mm-hmm. and I started the original white knight really enjoying it and it it has become uh i don't know like i feel like you know how we've talked on the show before how like every like month or so someone on twitter thinks that they've had the idea for the first time that like you know if batman's so rich he should be helping people actually like he <laughs> right. should be like putting his money into the, and it that's that that's that think piece tweet as, as a mini series to me Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really, really didn't enjoy Curse of the White Knight. Man, anytime I see that damn bat suit from Batman Beyond, I, yeah. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I will. I'll give it a shot. If you look at the news at aptcomics.com, you can see that there's an amazing double page spread of of Batman Beyond just kind mm-hmm. of soaring through the sky. And I mean, it's those Dave Stewart colors that just make everything. Pop yeah. Too. Gosh, Dave Stewart's on a ton of stuff too. I've, yeah. He comes up in almost everything that we're going to talk about today. So but uh, Murphy's really good at drawing like vehicles and costumes. Mm-hmm. Not so much other things, but you can see in this picture it looks really cool. But yeah, it's 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 <laughs> he's he's created this universe that feels a bit convoluted and a bit uh, vague and confused in areas. It doesn't have a singular focus in some respects, and it's taken mm-hmm. some bold choices uh, with the character so that it doesn't even feel like Batman on some scale, too, you know? I am interested in the concept of Bruce Wayne, you know, uh, identity out in the public behind bars and just trying to survive in there. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll see how it all comes together in March. We will. Also in March, Tom King can't get away from Batman. He is uh, launching Batman Killing Time number Nobody one. Nobody can get away from Batman. <laughs> but here's the cool thing. He's joined by David Marquez and Alejandro Sanchez on art. Marquez, you might know from Justice League, Defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, he's mostly worked with Brian Bendis over the years. I mean, mm-hmm. Marquez was there when they were doing Miles Morales um, Ultimate Universe stuff. Yeah. So we know for a fact this book will look freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, it involves a heist. It involves the Riddler, Catwoman, Penguin. Looks like a fun time, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we don't really know a whole lot about it yet, but uh, I'm, I'm, into, I'm into this. It looks like, yeah, like you said, like a fun caper. Also uh, announced this week was Batman Superman World's Finest Ugh. by Mark Wade and Dan Mora. What a combo. I am so here for this. <laughs> I'm here for the Jerry Seinfeld variant cover. <laughs> <laughs> I, man, I, I was already excited about, I mean, I, you know, I loved the Batman Superman, the Gene Lun Yang series so much. So yeah. I'm sad to see that go. Um, but I'm also like just reading the concept of this of, you know, Batman and Superman kind of in their early days of their their friendship. And uh, the fact that the Doom Patrol plays a major part in the storyline makes yeah. me very happy. I think uh, earlier this week you sent me the um, the Azrael cover uh, by Lee oh, Weeks. Yes. Yeah, and you Lee were Weeks, like, this rules. Uh, with <laughs> Cyborg Superman and Azrael. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, the Azbat suit, which uh, is ridiculous, but... 
literally always makes me feel like I'm six years old again, looking at the cover of Batman 500. Like I lost my mind when I saw this cover. It's so cool. It, it is really cool. Yeah. If you go to, again, if you go to aptcomics.com, you can see all the covers. Um, Mark Wade has done so many iconic runs. Mm-hmm. He's done, I mean, Daredevil, obviously Superman um, in, in mm-hmm. different aspects. He's been really Irredeemable. busy. Uh, he's he's I think he's the I think it's the president or maybe he's the editor in chief of Humanoids. So he's been very busy yeah. lately and hasn't been writing as many series as he usually does. So it's cool to see him back. Uh, Absolutely, doing like and this. and taking on some heavy hitters too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I, in that uh, comedians and cars getting coffee <laughs> cover, the thing that yeah. I love about it, not just the fact that it's the '66 Batmobile, yeah. which is awesome, but the fact that everyone. Uh, Superman and Jerry have mm-hmm. their names on their cups. The c- name on Batman's cup is just Bat. <laughs> like, like, they, like they got too scared to finish writing it. That's funny. That's a good catch. Another huge announcement this week from DC is the new DC Black Label book, Rogues. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's by Josh Williamson and Leo Max, who you might know from uh, the Hill House comics. Yeah. Which is a really cool combo, in part because I feel like Williamson, you know, he's always done very comic booky superhero stuff, Flash and what his mm-hmm. most recent stuff. And now he's doing something a little edgier, it looks like, where um, Captain Cold is on one last heist mission, mm-hmm. uh, going to try to steal from Gorilla Grodd. And uh, the art looks amazing. Well, it looks like, I mean, they're they're taking these larger-than-life characters and giving them kind of a, a noir vibe. Yes, yeah. While, while still embracing how ludicrous, you know, characters like Captain Cold and, <laughs> uh, and Silver Banshee and Captain Boomerang all are. I mean, uh, the, the shot of all of Flash's rogues hanging out at the bar together, not getting involved in all the fighting, makes mm-hmm. me really happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it looks like they're fighting on the dance floor, but I guess they're just dancing i oh no i guess they're fighting i don't know they are fighting yeah yeah yeah. yeah. what are the chances we get to see captain cold's hog hmm uh since it's a black label book (laughs) sorry this is a bad joke captain cod if you don't know batman damned uh famously showed batman's penis um yeah (laughs) old choice by dc there as we talked about as we talked about on silver linings playlist batman has hung dong on more than one occasion (laughs) Yes, this is true. I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, I was on on uh, Silver Linings this, uh, earlier this week on the uh, Batman the Mask of the Phantasm Mask of the Phantasm um, episode, and his penis never came up in the conversation. Yes, it did. <laughs> well, I mean, we talked about the sex scene, but we didn't talk about the penis per se. You know what I mean? You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I don't know. Anyway, uh, in other DC news, if you look at the solicitations in their DC mm-hmm. Connect magazine, apparently uh, Lex Luthor is going to become Batman. Uh, sure. Batman number one twenty one by Josh Williamson and Harley Molina, out in March. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's this weird Batman Phase Clan, which is apparently. Uh, oh yeah, we talked about that a little while back. That's um, actually coming out in March, which is weird. Oh yeah, we already talked about this last week. The uh, Shadow War event crossover event for Batman, uh, Deathstroke, and Robin is also coming out. Yeah, some of this stuff we talked about last week actually. Yeah. We got you covered on the AAPT Comics podcast. Let me tell you, they're going to be reprinting all the Sandman books in anticipation of the Netflix show. Yeah, over the course of like a month, like they're putting out volume one in April and then volume four will be coming out at the end of May. And they're doing these like 500, 600 page collections, uh, which is infuriating to me because a couple of months ago I started to buy (laughs) all the volumes again. Um, If you like uh, solicitations, 
Next Friday, there will be the full image comic solicitations at aptcomics.com. Yeah. I don't know when Marvel will be, but it'll probably be Thursday um, morning. Oh, I, there was one other thing I wanted to shout out. Yeah. The, uh, the Phantom Stranger omnibus mm. coming out in May. Uh, hun- like, it's uh, 1,100 pages, I think. Wow. Um, but it's it's 50s through the 80s, so I, I'm so hyped for that. At what point does the book become not a book, but a like a like a, a tome? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like with the comics, like they, they, I think the furthest they've ever pushed is twelve hundred pages. Beyond that, yeah. like it's so heavy there's and big. That, yeah, there's that milestone collection that comes out in a couple months. That's like twelve hundred pages or something like that. I, I think the uh, I just pre-ordered the question omnibus, and I think it's pushing seven hundred. <laughs> wow, I own the Amazing Spider-Man omnibus. Um, mm-hmm. the first one they ever put out the hardcover and it is yeah. very thick and I never read it because it's <laughs> like I don't want to die when I open it's it it's so heavy <laughs> oh I'm also really hyped for Swamp Thing number 11 which mm. brings back uh, Tefe Holland the, the daughter of Alec Holland and uh, Abby Arcane bum 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 yeah it's pretty cool it's like tying into everything else mm-hmm. he's giving us a reason for a third season folks yep Swamp Thing is the reason for the season, <laughs> as I've always said. Similar to DC, Marvel continues to give us details on March 2021 titles, uh, starting with Marauders, number one. We got new information about that from Steve Orlando. Yeah. Uh, so Steve's actually kicking off his Marauders run, in a sense, with a annual issue out in January, but Marauders number one officially kicks off in March. Um we found out in a bit of a spoilerly way, uh, the yeah. final member of the Marauders on the cover, mm-hmm. um, who is none other than a sibling of Xavier. Yeah, Cassandra Nova is back, y'all. It's interesting that she's a member of the team. I don't know if she's ever been written well since Morrison uh, took on the character or introduced I mean, the character. Yeah, I. It, it's interesting because like she's she's kind of every time she's popped up, it's been more of like a oh, can you believe that we brought this back? And then yes, they, yeah, they haven't really done Good anything point. particularly exciting with her. Um, I do. I love the description that Steve Orlando gave her, where he says she's a little bit Xavier, a little bit Catherine Trammell. <laughs> Who is <laughs> that? Is, Who is uh, Catherine Trammell? That's that's uh, Sharon Stone's character from Basic Instinct. Oh my God, that's that's a deep cut so, right there. I didn't even know. Yeah, very, very manipulative, uh, and um, I mean, I maybe sexy. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get sexy Cassandra Nova. What happens if there's a scene where Cassandra's like in front of the Quiet Council and she has to cross her legs? Oh no! <laughs> um, I mean, we'll see. Uh, yeah. If anybody could, if anybody could make me believe it, Orlando can. Uh, That's funny. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, this is a character we haven't seen in a minute, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that uh, this is, if you're gonna bring uh, Cassandra Nova back into the mix, uh, the Krakoa era is the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, uh, because I mean, now she can kind of fly right like a lot of the villains for instance aren't mm-hmm. necessarily villains anymore like mr sinister gets to like chill with other people and in that kind of like machiavellian edge that she has to her is mm. is like tailor-made for the kind of like political intrigue we're seeing in, in this in this era of x-men as well i've grown so bored of bloodless hands i mean that's just something i say every time i wake up in the morning for sure <laughs> speaking of bloodless hands or maybe bloody brains oh 
Oh. Marvel has revealed David Michelini is uh, returning to Venom with Venom Lethal Protector number one uh, in March as well. It's in the same vein as X-Men Legends. So he'll be exploring the Venom character he co-created um, mm-hmm. with a five-issue series uh, from a previous era of Venom pre, uh, you know, Donny Cates and the incredible, like, new direction the character has taken. I'm fascinated by this. I, I actually, I, especially with Ivan Fiorelli on art, I think it's going to look really interesting. Mm. The uh, Just doing this kind of back to basics Venom story uh, is pretty exciting. I mean, I love the, you know, the big cosmic stuff, obviously. I've, I've been reviewing the new series for AAPT and quite enjoying it. Yes, you have. Um, yeah. But as a kid, like this was like lethal protector was a huge deal for me that that mini series was a big deal for me because i and i remember at the time also thinking like this really should be called like spider-man venom's protector because a lot of that mini series is just him like kind of bailing venom out right uh, so the idea of kind of going back to that era of the character and seeing him kind of you know grapple with am I going to be a hero? Am I a villain? What is, you know, what is my purpose? I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, but when there's obviously the nostalgic element, element, but like the venom who just like hung on the ceiling of a sewer and screamed, I want to eat your brains. Like that's (laughs) right. It's kind of cool in a way. Right. Yeah. And also like, you know, they mention I love this, like before carnage and space gods, clones and toxins and the revelation that he was a father Eddie Brock was a down-on-his-luck reporter who tried to take his own life and was saved by an extraterrestrial alien. So we're, like, mm-hmm. joining him at, like, a crossroads, you know? Like, he he doesn't know what he's going to be yet, and that must be so freeing for Michelini to, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. revisit this character before all of the extra, you know, baggage and, and mythology is heaped upon it. I, I, and it should be really fun for people who, you know, remember that era of Venom. So I, I this is very exciting to me. Plus, like, Michelini is not writing Marvel comics every day. This is, I mean, it's an event in a sense. I mean, the guy's so iconic to and Spider-Man it's five mythos. Issues, so it's like a pretty, you know, pretty low buy-in to it as well. They've got that Ben Riley series coming out as well. It's like, they're yeah. so like, let's revisit, let's wait. revisit. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Honestly, like, they're they're cherry-picking the stuff from the 90s that I like. So, <laughs> so sure, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm down for it. Uh, like, like with that Lee Weeks cover, if they if I found out tomorrow mm. we were going to get a six-issue miniseries that was Jean-Paul Valley for, like, the yeah. four weeks that he was Batman, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd read it in a heartbeat. Holy shit. I mean, you should be a DC Comics editor just by saying that sentence. Thanks, man. um in other symbiote news uh rom v is taking on a brand new carnage series with francesco mana um which i think a couple weeks ago it was revealed that there's going to be a carnage 30th anniversary with carnage forever which rom v was co-writing and didn't we like even say like does this mean rom v might be doing a carnage series yeah, we were trying to figure out like, well, because we were talking about how he's, you know, he's obviously very heavily involved with with Venom. Yes, uh, Venom, and so now, <laughs> yeah, it, this just seems like a the natural next step. Um, it's Mana's artwork in Trials of Ultraman, by the way, so good, bonkers. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the, I'm I'm excited to see like what how he lends himself to this. So if you haven't been paying attention to Carnage in, in the comics, Cletus Cassidy is dead. He's gone, hopefully forever. <laughs> and uh, so the, the Carnage symbiote is seeking a new uh, host or a human to embody. So, I mean, really anything could happen. This could take a different turn. Like what if 
Carnage bonds with someone who isn't evil, you know? Like, maybe right. Carnage could become good. Well, but R- Rom's also hinting that, like, the only thing that's been really holding Carnage back is the fact that it has had a human host this long. Uh, the, mm-hmm. You know, the idea that there's oh, more yeah, abilities sure. that it hasn't even tapped into. And Rom V says it's very likely to become the most twisted thing I've written, which I'm on board for that's that sounds... bold <laughs> and i'm coming... not, like i'm not even yeah. a big carnage guy i'm just very sure. i'm a big rom v guy <laughs> and uh <laughs> love what what they're doing with venom right now so i feel i don't know why this popped in my head but if i had a tinder account would i write something like i'm a carnage guy i'm a carnage guy <laughs> yeah and it just it's a picture of you holding up a comic book like in the same way that guys hold up fish on their tinder profile oh that's hilarious i love that idea. <laughs> that's funny just dangling it <laughs> uh something speaking of dangling marvel has been dangling mm. who will be the sorcerer supreme for months that's now really good transition death of dr strange of course literally it's a little bit of a spoiler here dies in the first issue but a earlier younger version of him re- appears and he's trying to solve his own murder in a week mm-hmm. but a character now this is a big spoiler if you don't want it a character that's played a part in Death of Doctor Strange is Clea, who has been Doctor Strange's pretty much one true love throughout his mm-hmm. entire tenure of being in existence, uh, will be taking over as the Source Supreme in a new book called Strange, uh, written by Jed McKay. Yeah. And uh, Following her efforts to also bring Stephen back from the dead. Yes. And it, the art is by Marcelo Ferrero, who I, I think I said maybe off off air last week, like he's so talented, but he's been kind of stuck with Amazing Spider-Man uh, during the Spencer run so much that mm. I, I think he could really do some amazing work. He's really good at like well, dark even, horror but, too. Yeah, I was gonna say like the 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 my issues with that run have nothing to do with how great the book looked. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's very exciting. The solicitor for Strange says something about how she is haunted by her recently returned memories. So it looks like McKay might be playing with her like legacy. It's a character that's always felt second hand, second uh, string in a way. She, she, yeah. Depending on who's writing, she mm-hmm. she kind of gets thrown into the background or becomes the most important supporting character in the book. So it's right. it's really cool to see her taking a starring role. And the, yeah, like you're saying, the idea of playing with her as a um, unreliable narrator mm-hmm. trying to uncover you know who she is and why we should be excited for this new era i'm yeah i'm i'm on board for this it's almost like uh the people who grew up at our age reading these comics are now writing them <laughs> right yeah well you know it's like that thing that happened a few years ago where everyone who grew up watching john carpenter movies are making john carpenter movies right, now, right. You know? <laughs> like, yeah so i i you know what that's fine if 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 my friends want to write comic books for me that's good <laughs> <laughs> write what i want please also in marvel comics news marvel's um new omnibus series marvel mm-hmm. colon a time of year <laughs> In this case, June 1962 is coming out, which is the uh, the debut of, of Spider-Man, uh, amongst other things, including yeah. Thor wielding Mjolnir, Hank Pym becoming Ant-Man. Um, this is an omnibus series that's kind of fascinating to me. It's trying to recreate what it was like to live in this time in 1962 when Marvel was just putting out these heroes. So they're releasing these omnibuses yeah. that give you the books in the order in which they were released. That's wild. And when you realize that it's like one full month of just bam, 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 value, value, value. Like that's yeah. wild. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of when um, 
SNL started putting out full season releases of their like DVD box sets of their show. And I think they stopped at a certain point because like maybe the sales weren't there. They stopped pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the first like five seasons and they just stopped doing it. Right. People were like, wait, no, people don't want to see season six of SNL. (laughs) Um, Speaking of going back in time, uh, in our last Marvel of News, Chris Claremont uh, has been revealed that he will be taking on a Gambit series wild we don't know anything beyond who the artist is which is um sid Sid, yeah and their cover is by wilce Paccio. um but it's probably not an ongoing it's probably a miniseries we don't know yet that either but knowing how little chris Chris claremont works it's likely not going to be something that goes on forever but Mm -hmm. it appears as though he's he's telling a story from the past because we see young storm i believe (laughs) <laughs> flying behind Gambit in this cover. Yeah, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what's happening. <laughs> Storm also looks like a baby. I'm not yes, like, yes, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is fascinating. Uh, I have no idea what to expect. I love that old uh, that older Gambit logo treatment. That's mm-hmm. a that's a real sweet spot for me. But yeah, yeah. I have no clue what this book is going to be. It was. I got to tell you, it was a firestorm uh, on AIPT's site. The views for this, and <laughs> folks talking about it. It was. Uh, yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll stay tuned for that. In other new release news, good lord, it's like all news is just new release news. Mm-hmm. Uh, Image Comics uh, will have their full solicitations on Friday next week, but yeah. they revealed Ghost Cage is coming from Nick Dragota. Um, he's drawing it with uh, writer Caleb Golner. Um, mm-hmm. So this is like crazy manga influence, uh, I would say. It's black and white. It's like Akira inspired. It's got to be. But uh, it looks really cool. Yeah, it looks rad. I I love the artwork in this. Um, and that title is just good. I mean, Ghost Cage, that's a good title. I feel like it's a really good vehicle for Nicolas Cage. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have to say one thing, though. Uh, Dragota, he draws this old man character very uh-huh. similar to an old man character in East of West to the point where I'm like, is this East of West adjacent or something? <laughs> Interesting. But uh, yeah, anyway, it looks really cool. It's a, a sci-fi uh, futuristic story. Also revealed Mike Mignola and Greg Hinkle are putting out Radio Spaceman. <laughs> I don't know, it just feels like a Feels like a David Bowie. Uh, putting it up on my radio screen <laughs> in the stratosphere. You, you freaky old bastard, you. Now we're just ripping off Flight of the Concords. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. You have to listen to that song. It's called Bowie. We just rewatched that episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Uh, we yeah. were just listening to it a couple weeks ago on the on driving. So good. So Radio Spaceman is a two-part story. Uh, it, it's a steampunk in style. And uh-huh. uh, looks fun. Don't know much yeah. about it. Radio Spaceman is sent to investigate a uh, missing crew of astronauts. Um, As machine he's man to with do. a floating skull, alien bears, vampires, towering monsters. Uh, it's awesome. I'm getting big uh, screw on head vibes from yeah. this one. So I'm very, very into it. I don't know if you're into this next piece of news. Um, you oh know about God. God. Have you heard of Godzilla? I've heard of Godzilla, yes sir. How about uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? I've heard of them, they're mighty, they're morphin, they're powerful. And man, I think I texted this to you at like 1 in the morning. I'm so excited. It was actually 8.20 and I 
I was still asleep and I got it and I was like, oh shit, something bad okay. happened. Okay, yeah, it was not, it was like early, I feel like. But yeah, yeah. I, man, so, so excited. Have Why we don't even... you tell people what we're talking about? Yeah, we don't even, we haven't even told them what it is yet. <laughs> yeah, so um, Godzilla and Mighty Mighty Power Rangers are doing a crossover. Uh, Colin oh. Bunn is writing it. And it's called Godzilla vs. the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah, Cullen Fun, Freddie Williams II. Like, this looks so rad. It's like a such a no-brainer crossover because they, yeah. they go big and fight big monsters. Like, Rita Repulsa goes to another universe because she wants to escape the Power Rangers. And now she's like, well, shit, now I'm in a world that's just full of giant monsters so mm-hmm. I can throw them at the Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. It's such a, yeah, like you said, it's such a no-brainer concept that I, I cannot believe it's finally happening. Right, I right. love this. I will be there day one for this. <laughs> You'll be in the comic shop at, at 1 a.m. waiting for them to open. <laughs> I will be. <laughs> um, uh, stay tuned to AIPT. We're going to actually have Colin Bunn on the show in January. Um, we'll be talking yeah. about Shadow Man, but we will most definitely be asking him about this as well. For sure. And in our last bit of news, a bit of sad conflicted sad news um editor-in-chief of idw has exited um and uh he 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 posted this on linkedin of all places but newsarama picked it up so that's how we know about it um john barber uh, said that basically this was planned for a while but he's leaving idw and it's it's a weird bit of news for me because when this aipt comics podcast started it was just almost weekly we had some idw bad you know, bad news for them, mm-hmm. uh, news. And now we're back to some weird, bad upheaval news. Um, this is in light of the Transformers and G.I. Joe licenses potentially leaving, um, mm-hmm. which we actually didn't talk about last week, but it was in the news last week. Um, Skybound was potentially vying to capture the licenses and start making comics for them, but nothing's happened with that yet. Yeah. But yeah, this is... Uh, it's also kind of surprising too because like people like Heather Antos, editor Heather Antos, Mark Doyle, they've all joined IDW in the last few months. And for him to leave now without their editorial work coming out yet is a bit surprising. Right. You might know Barber from his uh Back to the Future comics as well. He's also a comics writer. Right, yeah. But yeah, we'll uh, stay tuned to this podcast. We'll likely inform you what's going on, not only with Transformers, but also who might be the new editor-in-chief of IDW. Definitely. Could it be Nathan? <laughs> who knows? I, I don't know. I got some good <laughs> Azrael ideas, so I don't know if they can use those. <laughs> what could you do at IDW? Let's see. What else do they got? Go- I mean, if you did a Transformers... Oh, give me a ROM. Give me the ROM book. I got that. Oh, the ROM okay. Space Night books. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is your resume. This This recording. right that's it for news in our next segment standout kapow moment of the week our favorite moment of the week be it visual shocking surprising entertaining um it's our it's our favorite moment but not necessarily our favorite comic and this week i really liked a moment in the thing number two tom riley and jordy belair draw this page where thing is punching a dude up into the air, and there's a big pow coming between mm-hmm. them. Um, what I love about this panel particularly is that there are effects in front of and behind the pow. Yes. Creating this like 3D effect. The pow also looks like it's bending a little bit. 
mm-hmm. like as if it's uh it's like bulging out at the w and then kind of scaling back at the p yeah yes it's just a really cool way of using lettering and sound effects to to really amp up thing punching this dude up into the sky not to mention there's a little star over his head like he's been knocked out <laughs> right that and the thing punches him so hard that the thing's shirt explodes <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point i didn't catch that which i love that shit oh my god i wish i could punch that hard that'd be cool yeah for sure anyway that's why it's my favorite moment if you go to the aipt comics podcast post for this you can see it mm-hmm. in full what was your favorite kapow moment of the week uh, my favorite moment was from Hulk number two by Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley. Uh, this book is very weird. I, I didn't love this issue as much as the first one, uh, but there are some really fun gags throughout. Um, the best bit to me, though, was right at the top where uh, we join this group of multiversal heroes with just these incredible, like, striking designs that are very clearly meant to be a riff on the authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, the Hulk is traveling between dimensions, and so, like, it's basically Marvel's answer to the bleed. And the uh, these these this group shows up where it's kind of Hulk's POV, telling him, you know, you have to stop. We have, uh, you know, you've entered the arterial dimensional between space. I order you to turn your vessel around at once. And he just kind of starts screaming, wait, no, stop, stop. (laughs) And the next page is Hulk just hitting them at full speed because he's asleep and breaking them into a million pieces. It's so disgusting. That's crazy. It it is fully like a scene out of Invincible. Uh, Even this dude looks like one of those invincible aliens. Oh, for sure. One of the, the, uh, the vitramites. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the, the, um, just to me, like the, this sequence would be a full issue or storyline for another book. And it's just like, it's like the Hulk just smashing through someone else's life's work is just very funny to me. Yeah. Kate's is always good at that, isn't he? Like he'll drop something that could have been a whole arc almost. Yes. In, in, yeah. As like a, as a cliffhanger. <laughs> but it's like a, it's like a, it's like a sight gag at this point. Like, it's yeah. just so funny to me. Yeah. There was an episode of uh, the sci-fi series, uh, The Lex. Yeah. That opens with a guy in a, like a cryogenic like tube. And he's has this like dramatic monologue about how he's the last of his people. And he's been sent on a, on a mission to, you know, save them all. And Mm -hmm. uh, he's their last hope. And then the camera pans out and he crashes into the side of the ship and explodes. And then it cuts to inside and everyone's just like, did you guys feel that? And that's it. (laughs) Like that's, it's just like, a a, like (laughs) that's the, that's amazing that it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And uh, that kind of nihilism always makes me laugh. You gotta love it. It's like, it builds up this anticipation and then it releases it immediately. Yeah, and and it is sort of the same thing here where it then, like, the Hulk hits their ship and Mm -hmm. it explodes and then that wakes up Bruce and he's just like, hang on, what's going on? That's funny. He's so powerful that he's taking out entire teams by, by, when he's asleep. Yeah, he's just moving too fast. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, Hotly is one of the best. I mean, yes. you and I both grew, grew up with him because he was drawing Invincible when we were in high school, I think. Right, yeah, for sure. So it's cool to see him doing more Marvel. I mean, his Spider-Man stuff was cool. I think mm-hmm. he was a bit inhibited on the series based on the story, but still good. Yeah, for sure. Talking about good, let's get into our top two comics of the week, our top books of the week. 
Yeah. What was your second favorite of the book week, Nathan? I was really into Batgirls number one by Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Jorge Corona. This is uh, the team book I've always wanted out of the Batman <laughs> universe. I swear, like, there's just a really fun, like, punk rock energy to the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, the the way that the characters interact is very sweet and and uh, just very uh, relatable. I had major flashbacks of Gotham Academy while I was reading this, just oh. in, in terms of how the characters kind of uh, react to... Uh, balancing responsibility with also just that sense of I'm a kid and I see something bad is happening. So I'm going to take care of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the action is just a blast. It's, it's very brief and very quick, but the, uh, there's just so much there's so much joy in every page here. Mm. Yeah. I love seeing Barbara Gordon as like the, the mentor. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I love how bright the book is. Yes. Yeah. The visuals are just insane. Like Corona mm -hmm. seems to put like splatter in the right places every time. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was a written piece uh, when I interviewed them earlier this week, mm -hmm. but there's more to that interview that will be played later in the show. But there was a point in the interview where they were talking about how um, Corona loves drawing pipes. And mm -hmm. whenever they're doing a second pass on uh, lettering, they try to like not cover up the pipes Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was cute. And I made a joke about laying pipe, and yeah, it was inappropriate and wrong, but we all laughed. No. <laughs> we all laughed. <laughs> good, good. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, no, Batgirls is really cool. They're really edgy. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. If you'd like something else, you'd like this, but I can't think of anything at the top of my head. Good yeah, book. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm on board for this series completely. My uh, second favorite of the book of the week was Miles Morales Spider-Man number 33 by Saladin Ahmed and Michelle Bendini. Uh -huh. um, this issue spins right out of Amazing Spider-Man number 81. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I feel like Amazing Spider-Man number 81 was a good fight comic book that really mm -hmm. just, its whole aim was to set this issue up. Because <laughs> gotcha. it okay. directly spins right out of it. Um, but it involves shift, um, Spider uh, Miles Morales's uh, shape-shifting clone who is right. their, he's his friend and they go on a bit of a mission here but um, Saladin's really good at capturing their interesting dynamic but also shifts he's a bit childlike in his emotions he doesn't know how to control himself necessarily and there's a moment where Miles is like you need to you need to pull back because you're going to kill that guy because they end up fighting a bunch of people but uh, Bandini's art is really good, really visually striking for the fight scenes. There's like actually a full page splash of the two um, on a bus on their way to a location that just looks wicked cool. Um, but they're about to uncover something involving monsters, which is really neat. And um, this all this story actually ties into a character that's been messing around with Miles in the past. So there's there's some payoff here as we kind of progress into the story. Um, but yeah, that was my second favorite book. But wait a minute. Awesome. What was our favorite book of the week? Yeah, that's right. I said R. Ours. Uh, yeah, man. Robin and Batman number two by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. Yes. What a, what a hell of an issue, man. I mean, first of all, Dustin's watercolor art just like stands out as just Beautiful. so unique, so good. And, and he gets to like, man, he gets to draw... Like it, they're, they're similar to that death of Doctor Strange Spider-Man one shot from yeah. a little while back, mm -hmm. we get these big one-page 
short stories mm-hmm. of different missions for the Teen Titans because this follows Robin meeting the sidekicks for the first time. And mm-hmm. I, I just, it's such a simple concept that plays out in ways that I didn't expect. Right, totally. I love the opening where we're, again, we're, we're connecting to Robin's desire to be called Robin. Why? Mm-hmm. And like the meaning behind what a Robin is and, you know, the animal itself and what mm-hmm. it represents for him, which creates this like very human connection to honestly, the kind of insane idea of someone putting on a costume that's themed <laughs> and running out yeah. and fighting crime. <laughs> and, and it, man, the characterization of Alfred in particular so in so this, good. in this miniseries has been excellent so far because he's, he's trying to cope with the idea that like, you know, I raised this young man and he is knowingly putting a child in danger mm-hmm. uh, every, you know, every night. And I mean, there's a, I won't spoil it. There's a reveal toward the end of the issue that is just heartbreaking and kind of makes Alfred take a stand mm-hmm. uh, that I just, I, it's stuck with me like all through the week since I read this. Mm. If you like giant robots, you'll also like this issue. It's a good <laughs> episode. It's a good issue for giant robots. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. No, um, there's only one more issue in the series, so mm-hmm. it's also like kind of moving quickly and well. So yeah, definitely I'm pick so that one up. I'm so excited to see how the Killer Croc uh, mm. B plot plays out. Totally. Well, that's it for best comes of the week. In our next segment, mm-hmm. top books for next week. What yeah. are you looking forward to, my man? Oh man, I can't wait for Cat uh, Catwoman Lonely City number two. Mm. Sorry, we have in the doc. I've got Nathan Catwoman Lonely City, <laughs> and so I almost said that's not the title. Nathan Catwoman City. <laughs> that's funny (laughs) too nathan too lonely the uh yeah catwoman lonely city number two by cliff chiang uh this series of the first issue just kind of exceeded all of my expectations Mm. uh showing us a selena kyle in the future after most of the bat family uh is gone or Mm -hmm. dead uh and trying to reintegrate into society, but also finish the last mission she was given by Bruce, which we still don't quite know what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, In the meantime, uh, Harvey Dent has, uh, or Two-Face rather, has become uh, a a major player in Gotham City and may not be on the side of the angels, as we come to find out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, man, I, there's just so many interesting things that are put in motion in the first issue um, and uh, we're we're supposed to see more of the last night with the Bat family in in the second issue, and it's just uh yeah it's it's heavy but it's beautiful it's exciting uh, and I can't wait to read it. I got a little clever with the preview for this when mm-hmm. I tweeted it. I chopped up all the panels on one page where we get to mm. see Batman, Batgirl, Nightwing, and Robin and Catwoman about to dive into a mission. Yeah, and. Uh, it's just so well done it, and it makes Catwoman so heroic she's part of the team she's part of the Bat family in this scene yeah. and again it's that very um, Darwin Cook style Catwoman design which yes. I will always yes. hit for me <laughs> totally totally yeah and like the, the costume design is like so on point in this in this page that I tweeted too like I can't sure. wait for it it's gonna be really good well it all looks it all looks like real too like, like a utilitarian like there's a like Batman is wearing spandex. It's like clear that this is like a fabric suit. Yes, I, exactly. I really love that too. And Chang's freaking lettering, coloring, drawing, everything, writing. Yeah. Amazing. One man army. Um, and what's got funny a is my army book. My most anticipated book is also written and drawn by one person, Jock. Um, mm-hmm. Batman One Dark Knight, which is I've been greatly anticipating for it feels like months. Yeah. 
for sure. Um, Jock's one of the best at creating moody Batman scenes. I mean, he actually has the cover yeah. for what Entertainment Empire. Weekly or something. Empire, yeah. Empire Magazine. Yeah, he did a he did one for the Matt Reeves Batman. It looks amazing. It, the the play with light is just genius. Mm-hmm. Um, I once again I've cheated here. I've I was able to read this earlier this week. The whole issue. Oh, right. um, yeah, it's. It's a three-issue prestige format uh, black label book, mm-hmm. and it's all taking place in one night, hence the name, uh, over eight hours. And the plot is that Batman is trying to move this character called EMP, who soaks up energy, uh, to right. a new prison where there'll be like an energy loop so that he can't suck the energy out um, or die. Uh, mm-hmm. And he gets loose, and Gotham goes dark. And so it's like we've got... The, uh, the Gotham Police Department on one side, we got Batman on the other, and it's it's chaos at Gotham because now yeah. all the baddies know they can go out at night and uh, stop Batman from getting this guy to the location he needs to go to. So it's got this really good, like, episodic... It would be mm-hmm. a great Batman movie if it was just eight hours, Batman has to get the bad guy to a prison. Oh, man, I... It- you're telling me that we could have an eight-hour Batman movie. <laughs> we're, gonna get, we're, we're gonna get Peter Jackson on it. He's gonna cut <laughs> sixty hours of video down to eight hours. Right. I've been I've been going through video of Batman. <laughs> anyway, that's my most anticipated book of the week. In our next segment, judging by the coverage, we're gonna talk about our most favoritist art mm-hmm. out next week. And my God, I picked Christian Ward two weeks in a row. Naughty, right. naughty. Yeah. I picked uh, his, I think it's his variant cover for Legends of the Dark Knight number eight. Yes. Uh, Jesus. It's so cool. We've it's got. great. Hey, oh, again, if you go to aptcomics.com and go to this podcast post, you can see it. But a full head headshot of Scarecrow looking creepy as hell, as if he's wearing skin. We've got Batman. His... It is a very leather facey look. Right? Scarecrow. It's got like stitches yeah. too. Yeah. Batman's blue, very blue cape. I love I love Batman in blue, by the way. I do too. Uh, uh, big pointy ears, like right out of Kelly Jones. We've got this, mm-hmm. I don't know what, Robin-like character in the bottom. I think that's the ghost dogs, right? The, oh, is uh, it? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's just the way it kind of like flows with his cape, Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. It's a very like movie poster style. Batman's got his arm covering his face as if he is monstrous himself, covering his humanity. Well, he's got those kind of talon-like fingers, too. It, like you yeah. said, the... Very Kelly Jones, uh, kind of Red Rain kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it looks very painterly too. So yeah, it's yes. really it's pretty, but but dark at the same time. For sure. What was your favorite cover of the week? Next I am. Week. I love. Uh, I love the cover for Amazing Spider-Man number eighty-two by Arthur Adams. Uh, this issue, uh, Peter Parker's finally woken up from his coma. Uh, he's still kind of being nursed back to health. And uh, it's not a hundred percent. There's they're trying to solve some kind of mystery of patients going missing in the hospital, and what we see here is a the hospital as a brick outline of Spider-Man silhouette, <laughs> and in each window, it's like its own short story, its own little vignette from like telling us what's going to happen coming up. Uh, first one is Peter and MJ looking very concerned. The next one is them trying to tell someone on the hospital staff about it while another nurse is uh, around the corner with a pillow, like he's about to smother somebody. And he's got a gun uh, in his hand, I he's think. He's got a gun underneath the pillow. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the final one is Peter in his hospital gown crawling on the wall while the uh, nurse holds a gun on him and MJ holds a uh, 
um, Ivy stand ready yeah. to just whack him in the head. I, I just think this is such a cool, inventive cover. It perfectly uses the space to tell us a story in three acts. And uh, I'm excited to read the inside of the book that'll fill <laughs> in each of those you know, little vignettes. I love that he put his name and the date that he drew it. Uh, on the bottom windowsill of the bottom window. Yes. Yeah. Eight twenty six, twenty twenty one. 2021. Uh, good Lord. The details, right? Like Arthur Adams has been crushing with these Spider-Man covers. Absolutely. I was uh, lucky enough to talk to Michael Avon Oming a couple weeks ago about yeah. World of Krypton. And I brought up how like people say, don't draw every brick, but Arthur Adams breaks the rule. And <laughs> Oming was <Yeah>. laughing. <laughs> you were, Oh yeah. You did mention that recently where he just like, he goes, he wants every brick in there. Yep. Yep. That's great. I wonder how long it takes him to do one of these at it's least so two wild. days. Right. Like, it's so yeah, it's an incredible cover, man. Arthur Adams is a treasure. Absolutely. Next week, we'll be going over our favorite stuff of the year. Our 2021, uh goodbye roundup not goodbye to us but goodbye to 2020 <laughs> i i am not it's i can't talk today but uh no uh yeah we're gonna do our big 2021 wrap-up talking about our favorite comics favorite creators uh just you know a celebration of 2021's amazing comic books absolutely in our next segment please listen to our interview with becky clunan michael conrad and Hori corona talk about Batgirls, we talk about the process, we talk about a lot of things. Enjoy! Thank you so much for being on the AMPT Comics Podcast. Uh, Becky Cloonan, Jorge Corona, and Michael Conrad. Hello. Hello. We're all here. Yes. Oh my god. Batgirl Batgirls have been fabulous, super fun, super high energy, great dialogue. Now we've got Batgirls number one coming out December 14th. To start, no long hard question here. Uh, can you sum up the vibe that you're going for with this series in one word? That's that's for you guys. <laughs> one word. Uh, I would say roller coaster would be my word, Ooh. which is a, it, nice. it is a good word, and I'll tell you why in a moment when we have time to think about it. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the idea here, and I think you see it with the backups, where it's nonstop, pretty much, um, and we we put these girls through the ringer a little bit. Um, and I think that is just kind of what we're going for, just something action-packed, but also funny and with a lot of ups and downs, but that always keeps moving, you know? See, I was going to say roller coaster, so I'm a little bit thrown <laughs> off. <laughs> um, you, I saw in the solicit, it was the, uh, the word slumber party. was oh, slumber party, party. Yeah, like That's that. That's a good one. Steal yeah. it. Steal it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, single word. Kinetic. Um, yeah, we want it to feel um, like when action happens, we want you to feel that action. We want we want the page to kind of explode in your face. Um, and that's Jorge and Sarah Stern doing their work. Yeah, really we we've got the, the perfect. <clears throat> we've got the the pieces. You know, our our job is to is to build that that uh, that explosive device by telling a story that. Um, Action only matters when people care about the players and when people care about uh, the good guys and the bad guys equally. Um, <clears throat> I'm kind of of a mind that uh, characters are only as good as as the as the beings and ideas that they're struggling against. Um, <clears throat> so while the book's called Batgirls, uh, a big part of all great Batman stories and all great stories in Gotham. Um, are the stories of the villains that they're going to be facing. 
Michael, that was more than one word. Just kidding. Um, oh, I was just no, that explaining was a good kinetic. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> kinetic. Well, yeah. Hold on. To your point. In case you want to yeah. edit it so I don't look like yeah. I broke the rules. No, no, well, no, no. David, I was just kidding. I'd say kinetic. <laughs> well, David. <laughs> Jorge, uh, I, I reviewed a few of the backups for AIPT and I kept using the word graffiti. And then I literally saw graffiti in the first issue. So it made me think. Jorge, have you have you do you have a tagging career? Not even. Do you do not even? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> a lot of small bit. No. Um. No, but it is. It. I mean, graffiti is going to become a big part of the <laughs> of this book. Um. So yeah, no, definitely the 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 style is very like. I mean, it's Gotham, so it's very urban, and like the girls are going to be very down in the streets and then, you know, doing their thing. So that whole kind of like urban space needed to be um, represented, not only in, you know, just the, 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 uh, the, the images that we were using, but also like the visuals itself, the, 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 the theme and the, the approach of the images itself. So that's why there's a lot of like very street art influences in what the final look of the comic is. Uh, Becky and Michael, um, you know, you've been collaborating on a couple of different books with Wonder Woman as well. I was, um, every time I see a duo like this, I wonder how, how is the writing process like with them? Is, are they breaking all the story and the dialogue together? Are they splitting it up so that they can get more done quickly? What's your process like? I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. It would be easier if we split it up, but we don't, (laughs) we're, we're collaborative at every step of the thing yeah there so far we haven't we haven't done that splitting up the responsibilities thing it's it's not as if we're sitting on each other's laps and and typing away uh on a shared document but it is very collaborative in that we have multiple discussions send files back and forth um everything in there gets touched by both of us nice the dialogue is great it makes me wonder because I've asked some writers who, you know, just solo writers, they're like, oh, I use a, t- a tape recorder and I'll record myself and then I'll play it back. And that's like two people talking. Do you guys find yourself uh, running any dialogue with each other in the scenes? We do. Sometimes we'll like say lines to each other or we'll, like read things out loud to each other, but not super often. A lot of times if I'm going over something, I'll read the dialogue out loud to myself kind of quietly because I don't want Michael to hear because it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> it's like a thing that you just, you do, like everybody does it. I think it, it helps when you hear it out loud, but it's a hard thing to do when you're not like just, it's embarrassing. So I, <laughs> I haven't gotten over it yet. <laughs> I, I never really do the out loud thing. I heard that mm. like Grant Morrison does that. And I always mm. have been a big fan of his and I like to, I like to say, you know, what whatever he says, I'll I'll just steal it and later use it and say it so that <laughs> I sound like a a brilliant Scottish man. I no, right. I I think if you spend enough time thinking about these characters, I can almost, I can hear these conversations going on in my head. It's mm-hmm. it's provided to me by an intimacy that I've achieved with these characters by reading everything that I can get my hands on and developing uh, each independent character with their independent voice kind of in my mind. Sometimes it's a little bit based on people that I know. Um, 
but that's more of an influential factor rather than the defining characteristic of how these women speak to each other and to other people. Yeah. I read a lot of comics and review a lot of them too. And I have to say, I think your dialogue really stands out. It's some of the best dialogue I've read in comics this year, if not years past as well. It, it does feel very organic and you get the character in the dialogue, which sometimes isn't the case. Yeah. It's, yeah. Dialogue is tricky, especially on a book like this where so much has to happen in such a short mm. period of time. And you're doing a lot of heavy lifting um, so a lot of times when we go over dialogue, it's how do we convey the most information in the fewest number of words, which, and then, and then of course you want to have personality in there as well. So not every, everyone's just doesn't have the same voice. So it does end up being a bit dialogue heavy, but so much of that is like reading it out loud and, and figuring out what words you can snip or like, how can I say this in a more concise way that still embodies the character and still gives you all that information but in like a way that's fun to read where it's like, you're not reading a novel, you know, there's, you have to make sure that there's mm. room for all the art and every, it's just <laughs> kind of a balancing act. And I think, um, yeah, that's the big thing. Know. We don't want to cover up too much of the art. I always <laughs> lament when we've got this big block of text and we see mm. Jorge is smart and kind of, you know, he keeps the, the word count in mind while he's drawing these pages. But I think some of the stuff that Jorge draws in the background that's just like, oh, well, you know, this is where text is going to go. Um, I just love it so much. I'm like, I don't want to cover up that pipe. Jorge said in an interview a while ago that he likes drawing pipes. Yeah. Which, uh -huh. <laughs> so now anytime I was just looking at some of his uh, pencils earlier today and I was like, yeah, there's some great pipes. Yeah. He's really <laughs> stepping up the pipe game. Yeah. I'm going to take that so literally and make a bad guy called like the pipe master pipe or something. And he just bomb. smokes a pipe all the time, like, like Sherlock Holmes. And he lays pipe. <laughs> the pipe layer. The, whole thing. <laughs> the pipe layer. His, uh, his secret identity is Chad. He doesn't have a last name. Sometimes when we, when we have to do like a lettering pass before it goes to actual lettering, we'll get the art in and then we look over the script with the art mm. before the lettering happens. And a lot of times that's when we sit down and are like, okay, well, can we move some of this dialogue around so it's like less heavy and, you know, like how do, how do we share some of this stuff with, when the art comes in? It's easier <clears> to see <throat> how all that stuff happens. So it's a constant process of like, you write it, you rewrite it. Jorge does his magic. We look over it again and change a lot, you know, after this. And then, you know, of course, lettering happens and it's, we're just lucky. constantly going over it. <laughs> we're, lu we're lucky that the lettering um, on Batgirls, Becca Carey, um, she's, she's like a part of the art department here. This isn't, and that's true of any great letterer. Um, They're Be doing so much work and Becca, it's like invisible work, you know? It is, yeah. And that's something we hope to change. We hope to make sure that when people look at the, these books that we're making, people are acknowledging everyone's hard work on, on every level of it and valuing us all as, as a team rather than these different constituent parts that don't really communicate and, and share a dream. Uh, every part of this is a lot of communication, a lot of collaboration. That girl's well-oiled machine. Huh? A lot of well-oiled pipes. Super well-oiled. <laughs> <laughs> Becky wants to oil the pipes. All right. All right. We'll put it in the title. Yep, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, 
Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Seer. Uh, the character feels like I've seen a troll like that before. Um, what were some of the inspirations in developing that character visually and, of course, character-wise? Seer came out of Fear State. Like She was kind of messing around with everyone during um, James's Batman run. Um, so we kind of inherited the bad guy, like kind of coming out of that fear state. Um, and everything that we've done with Batgirls, like the, the three backups were, the situation was all perpetuated by events that happened in fear state. Um, so a lot of it was taking Seer as a character that no one really, she was very mysterious. And then being able to give her life in our series um, was, that was our big challenge. Kind of the original idea that was presented to us was this kind of uh, girl with the dragon tattoo kind of motif, like a cool, maybe even sexy punk tattoos, piercings. And we just, I don't know, we had the opportunity to to kind of like tinker with, with that initial design. And we wanted some somebody, someone who we could picture... Um, like finding a great value in this this power that she has, this power to um, reach out through the internet and manipulate and to generate uh, an image of themselves. Um, that that became kind of what happened with the girl with the dragon tattoo look. Is that might be how Seer views herself sometimes, um, but also. Um, using that ability to manipulate the world around her. It was, it's just a compelling idea. And you're right. We've, we've met characters like this before in the real world, people <laughs> who will damage you and ruin your entire day with just a few words on the internet. And you don't know who they are. It, it might be some scrubby little weirdo who is just good at hurting feelings. <laughs> uh, in this case, Seer is good at a lot of things. Hurting feelings is definitely one of them. Yeah. And I think it's in her like capacity to just be like the, just an awful troll that makes her such a good bad guy. Like she's so much fun. And it's so it's like we have a lot of good creepy stuff with her coming up and she's easy to dislike, which makes her even more fun to write, I think. <laughs> and Jorge did such a good job like envisioning this character. Yeah, she's so squat. It's like she is like a troll. Is that is that on purpose, Horace? Well, yeah. No, the 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 fun thing with with uh, designing Seer was that we we had the two fronts of Seer, and it was one who she was in reality and who she portrayed to be uh, virtually. And yeah, I think uh, when when the character the description of the character got to me, I think we like it was already established that she was going to be like a like a child, um, and. So imagine it like this, kind of like hyperkinetic, but like shy or like almost agoraphobic <laughs> children or kid that just wanted to, you know, remain with her computers and just like, but it's also covered. That's part of why the hair is that way, that the glasses, which Becky actually helped nail down the final designs of those glasses, but like cover most of her face, the big jacket that also covers like almost every feature. And uh, because she's a character that takes the features of many other characters when she does her thing online. So it was fun to create this character that, that was like almost hidden behind layers of herself. And then the I never heard about the, the part of the girl with the dragon tattoo, but I'm glad that when, for, the, for the Avatar 
version of her. She is kind of like the girl of the dragon of the, with the dragon tattoo, but on steroids. So mostly, what I was thinking there, I was like, this is again, like this, <laughs> this is a this is a kid who has um, taken basically everything of internet culture into her personality. So I went with a design that was uh, the her her avatar's design was almost like a video game character that you would you know design for your. Uh, Final Fantasy Avatar or your whatever. So it's like a very like hmm. anime evil galaxy queen kind of approach <laughs> to what she ended up looking uh, avatar-wise. And I wanted really to contrast that um, sharpness of her avatar with more of a... It's not softest, but roundest. I don't know. It's some, like, something, like you said, like kind of like almost like a box. Like something that is not as, as aggressive uh, when you see it. And the fact that, yeah, uh, Becky and Michael just write this character as a very, like, easy to hate. And the fact that she's just, like, this is going to be, this. Is, uh, I mean, just a crappy kid. Uh, it's just a crappy kid. It's like, you don't, you don't want to completely beat the crap out of this kid, but kind of do. Like, <laughs> Punchable <laughs> face. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I love that. I love that about that character. And, and that's kind of like, I wanted to draw a crappy kid when you actually see her face. So that was that was a fun part of that. Nice. Jorge, oh my God, man. The me you love in the dark, so twisted, so dark, so disturbing. And we have Batgirls, a little brighter, a little more fun, a little more, a little more, a lot more. Yeah. Uh, is it Whiplash going from one to the other? I know there's probably a huge difference in time because th these things get made so early. Yeah, no, I was working actually the... Um, on the backups when I was finishing the last issue of the Me You Love in the Dark, which uh, was good because that's definitely the most animated issue of the bunch. So <laughs> it was it was a good balance of starting to draw all the destruction that was happening in, in the Bad Girls backup and then just drawing a monster destroying a house at the same time. Um, but no, it was it was it was something that I also wanted to do. The Me You Love in the Dark was a was a fun challenge book i love i love the mood of that book but i needed something uh a lot more kinetic to kind of like right after to kind of balance what i was doing to not get bored and and bad girl was was perfect for that because it's just constant action and and and, and goofy expressions and and just emotions in a different way that that i love it's another aspect of, of what i do that i love to do and then you know it was it, it came at the right time <laughs> Nice. Michael, I know you said that, you know, you've been living with these characters for so long, their voices come through you so easily. But if you had to pick one you like to write the most between Cassie, Stephanie and Barbara, and I'm asking Becky as well, um, which one would it be? <clears throat> I'm going to let Becky go first. <laughs> Why? Do you know <laughs> She's still thinking about that roller coaster. Yeah. I, okay. My answer, I think, is Steph, and it surprised me because I didn't, um, I didn't know as much about Stephanie when we started writing it. Like she was probably the Batgirl I knew the least about, um, and I think you you just have it in your head that you know who the character is, even though you've only read like a couple things with her in it. You know, it's like you just mm. make assumptions about just a person or a character or whatever um, before sure. knowing that much about them. But then when we started writing her. I realized there's so much more to her character and it's not that she is 
she's like not inscrutable at all because she's, you know, wears her heart on her sleeve um, and she's very animated. And I think you can always tell what she's thinking because she's so open about it. But there is a lot going on underneath that as well. Um, that makes her so interesting to write because I think there's a lot of like double meanings that, you know, she'll maybe say one thing when she's, if she's feeling down, she won't express it in the same way that anyone else will, you know, she's very positive. Mm, there's some depth there. Yeah. There's a lot of depth there. So I think, and it surprised me how much I liked her when, when we got going. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't expecting to dislike her, but I was, I was surprised at how. <laughs> I hate was, this character. Yeah. Like how Why are they in this book? <laughs> and she's so much like her and cast together are like such a good team. Like they're so, they mm. play against each other so well. It just makes me like both of them even more. So that's my answer. All of them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad becky said steph and i had a feeling she would uh, because i was planning on saying Cass. and part of the reason i love writing Cass is um we've got her working with a limited vocabulary um so she's like a character that there's so much you want you want her just to come out and say the stuff you want you want her to I've I've read some critiques of the backups and they're like, wow, you know, Cass doesn't say a lot. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think it, when good. you have communication limitations, you tend to be quiet, um, which isn't to say that she doesn't communicate a lot. I think she does. And I think that's there's a visual language there that takes a high level artist like Jorge to be able to communicate and hopefully as people like have more pages with Cass on, in there doing some of this body acting, some of this face acting, <clears throat> um, people will learn that there, Cass is saying a lot every time she's in a panel, even when there isn't, uh, you know, uh, text coming out of her face. She will become more verbal and more communicative as the series goes on and in different certain different circumstances uh, but right now it's it's very fun to to have this pint size killer you know she's she's <laughs> undoubtedly one of the deadliest characters in the dcu and she's also funny and she's also sweet and she's also learning um She's learning about emotions and to allow herself to have emotions, emotions that have been largely suppressed for her, for the bulk of her young life. So yeah, she's like the best compartmentalizer. Maybe. Yeah, she could turn it. <laughs> she can turn it all off. But when you hang out with somebody like Steph, who's who doesn't like, turn it all off like, at all ever, yeah, the other end of the spectrum, and they're learning from each other. Steph's kind of like a tough, funny city girl, and Cass is from from hell <laughs> you put them together nice. and you got almost a full person and that's kind of the intersectionality that uh, babs can represent sometimes is somebody who's been through a lot and has come out the other end even stronger and even better than, yeah. than ever before babs has definitely like gone through so much um and she's been written and drawn of course by so many amazing teams um that were here trying to represent that and do the best um for her that we can um and i i think having her in this mentor role just makes a lot of sense and she's also she you know I, we said Stefan and, and Cass 
but Babs is also really fun to write because because of this like um, more umbrella role that she takes over these two uh, younger Batgirls. Watching somebody who's maybe not used to being in a mentor role be in a mentor role um, yeah. is kind of fun and interesting too. And hopefully people will enjoy that as we kind of show <clears throat> Babs in her quiet moments being like, what? I meant to be yeah. a superhero, <laughs> not not hanging out with these weird kids. But she loves them too. She she is older, right? So she is like the adult figure. Yeah, I mean, she's. I think she's in her early twenties. She's like marginally older. She's, she's like old enough to uh, old enough that it's a little bit older. Yeah, like I think Steph and Cass are meant to be like thirteen and fourteen in our series, and then. Is, is that what it is? I think it might be a little bit older than that. Older. We tr- we try and keep it vague. Some... Yeah, there's not there wasn't like a direct like this is exactly how old they are. But when we came in, they're like you know Babs is like out of yeah. college. She's like in her twenties, and yeah. these girls are definitely like in their early mid teens. Yeah. I had to. Were you going to say hi? The other day, that's why. Sorry, sorry that I jumped. I just had to check the that the other day because I was drawing a panel. I was like. Wait, how old are these girls? <laughs> this continuity, and I had to go back to the original file that I got. I think they're like seventeen and sixteen, so like on that on that spectrum. Because I was like, yeah, teens, 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 teens. Okay, good. <laughs> I love that page um, where they say "Let's Rumble." By the way, is that Avengers Assemble? Is that what that is? Is, it, is that what I'm saying? <laughs> when they say "Let's Rumble," because that's pretty badass. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. We like the same things y'all like. Yeah. Yeah. If you like it, then it is. If you hate it, then it's not. Wait, what is the, uh, what is the, what is the Teen Titans shout? What do they shout? Titans go. What is it? Titans go. Titans go. Avengers assemble. Go, right? That was, that was in the, yeah, right? I forget. Teen Titans go. Yeah, Teen Titans go. Eh, don't matter. Um, that page is amazing, by the way. I love the layout. It's it's like such a good page turn because it's just like bam in your face, <laughs> and not only because of the art, but because of that mantra that they've got. But also the colors. Sarah yeah. Stern's colors are incredible yeah. throughout the book. Um, but I, I think every, anyone who picks up this book who loves Gotham is going to go. Wait a minute. Why is this so bright? Gotham's supposed to be dark. <laughs> and da, 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 da. Do you have an answer for those kind of f- folks? Yeah, shut it. Uh, <laughs> no, but <laughs> yeah, no, we that that was uh, that was a lot of of, of uh, the starting conversations that we had, especially when we started bringing Sarah in uh, to do the coloring uh, work, was that she has such um, a good vision for what this toxic palette ended up being that. Uh, it ended up like it's not it's not dark colors as in the sense of like muted colors, but you have like by using very like saturated and a, a very saturated palette. Just Sarah did amazing by turning this city into a very oppressive environment, which is what you want from Gotham. Gotham is not just a light off; it's just it's also you know a, a city that is constantly attacking its own its own inhabitants. So like I think that's what that was the mastery that she did was just like. From the get go, we I think we gave her like maybe a general description of what kind of like where we were coming from, and inspiration wise, and then she just came back with this palette, and I was like, oh my god, it's perfect. <laughs> it was 
let's let's hope to God that even if we have to fight, let's just fight for to keep this kind of palette because I loved it so much. The bright. Oh, sorry. I don't know that I think it suits the the characters too because it's like their characters and contrasted with with um, which I think it was one of the things from the get go that that we had like in the in the Bible of the book. It was just like bright characters against a darker environment or what or something like that, and then it just turns out to be like. It's not necessarily dark, but it's still like very bright and animated. I thought it was so smart that you have this brightness. I love the splatter effects that you're using, Jorge, that they're just like everywhere, but they're so cool. And then on top of all that, though, in the opening of the book, we're reminded uh, that the hill is established in 1635. This is a very old place, but yet there's all this, you know, color slapped on top of it. Uh, so there's like that juxtaposition. So it's, you're reminded that you know this isn't some new neighborhood or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Part of <clears throat> part of what we're trying to show is the evolution uh, of a town of a of a city. Um, kind of inspired by time that I spent um, living in like the Vallejo, Oakland area and seeing gentrification happen in real time, and kind of at one point looking at myself in the mirror and being it was that uh from that comedy sketch you know like am i the baddie (laughs) like am i am i part of this gentrifying force Um, right so i think that might be something that we'll look at as the story kind of unwinds nice well i think we're out of time thank you so much for being on the aapt comics podcast yeah thank you for having us yeah Yeah, let's do it again sometime and we'll go long form so that i can really get going <laughs> we need we need a thousand words a minute here but, um, no that skit is so by the way i love that skit uh whether the nazis and they're like yeah. in the ss uniforms they, they're like, are they we the got like a skull and crossbones on there yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah i think you are the baddies <laughs> oh man well thank you so much for your time guys this was a lot of fun yeah, hey thank you. thank you so much uh thanks for caring about Batgirls as much as we did <laughs>